0: welcome to the rice and anthony podcast the place to find out more about the people within school and the community in these podcast episodes we'll be getting into life at school and outside the school too by having real conversations with many different people in this episode our very first we speak to the head joe croft we'll be finding out why she wanted to become a head what she enjoys most about working at rye what she considers to be the most important things she does at school and what she's most proud of too So for all that and for more, come with me as we step into school and speak to the head in her office, it's Jo Croft.
1: Well, I am joined here today by Joe Crofter, the head of Rice and Anthony School. So, Joe, it's such a pleasure to meet you today. And I've got quite a few questions, actually, to find out a little bit about you. So I think my first one would be, what was your pathway? You say you're a head teacher. What was your actual pathway to getting to this position and being head of Rice and Anthony?
2: Hi, Arabella. So nice to talk with you today. And um, I'm really thrilled to just be able to talk a little bit more about Rye and everything else. Pathway to being a head is quite straightforward, but it's not something I actually ever thought I'd want to be. Um, My passion is actually just working with children, teaching in my subject, which is languages, French and Italian. And then just as I got into teaching, I just really loved the idea of working with children pastorally too. And so my route into, into being a head has been through head of department, head of sixth form, then deputy head. And what I love is the balance of all worlds. I just love being able to make a difference in children's lives not just in the classroom but out of the classroom too and that's something i think is really important at riot and something we do really
1: well that's an interesting one you mentioned about obviously getting into teaching in the first place and languages what what made you want to become a teacher i mean obviously you mentioned that you love working with children but did you have sort of you know times when you were growing up that used to you know think about what your school would look like
2: no never thinking about what my school would look like but i had this amazing french teacher who scared the living daylights out of me when I was 12 and it's because of her that I just fell in love with the subject. I remember walking around the classroom chanting verbs which today sounds really archaic but that's what I remember and it stuck in my mind. She was super strict but really inspirational too and it was her and then other people that I met as I went along the learning journey with languages that just really inspired me and I thought, I want to do that for other people because languages have a real bad, really bad press in the UK. And it's always one of those things. Oh, you don't need to learn another language. You know, everyone speaks English, but I'm absolutely passionate about sharing the possibilities of um, what you can discover by speaking another language.
1: That's a really interesting point, actually, and I think you're so right about languages and one of looking at the numbers as well of GCSE entries and A-level entries, the languages numbers have gone down. I mean, how do you make sort of languages a big thing at Rye? What, what, what is it that you think is going to kind of bring young people back towards languages?
2: I think the first thing is making it accessible for everyone, because just like you get with maths, lots of children come into learning languages with the preconceptions of their parents. So if a parent hasn't done particularly well, the child says, oh, I won't be able to do do it. And I'm absolute believer in the fact that language learning is like Lego. You build it brick by brick and you build up your house and your foundations, and everyone can do it. It doesn't matter what level you get to, but everyone can communicate in another language. And there's a language out there for everyone. I love French. I then learn Italian. I love German. I actually can't speak very much of it, but I can understand a lot. I just love the sound of it. And I think that. When you are um, struggling with identity, sometimes speaking another language can help you become a different person because you have to express yourself in a different way. So I think in a time of well-being and time of people not knowing who they are or on a journey of self-discovery, it's a great opportunity with language learning to, to think about yourself in a different way.
1: Wow. I've never thought about it that. And actually, thank you for that because the, the sort of, you encapsulate that passion and that love for languages. Just going back a little bit, there you were kind of going to teach, you had this wonderful, inspiring teacher, and then you finished, obviously, university, I'm guessing you started a multitude of different languages there. And then you thought, right, I'm going to become a languages teacher? Or what was your sort of first delving into? How, how do you feel the calling? Okay, <laughs> So in all honesty, the calling wasn't quite the calling, mainly other people. Okay, it's always good to hear this.
2: Yeah, I finished my degree. I was um, went out to work in France for the summer and I was working for the French Railway Company um, and then I went to do my master's in France and I was living in France, having a really amazing life. And then I decided that actually I needed to do something really serious and I didn't quite know what to do. I never thought I'd have the patience for teaching. So I was thinking about journalism. I was thinking about all sorts of things. But I applied for teacher training, came back and um, to the UK because I had a year that I needed to, to fill. And actually, once I got in the classroom, I decided that really was what I was meant to do. I think I needed to realise it for myself. Sometimes when you've been in education all the way through and you've not gone to work in an employment situation where you're doing a different job. It can feel that very much that you haven't left school, but actually coming back to school as a teacher and training was um, really eye-opening. I didn't do a PGCE, I did something very different, which was I got my qualified teacher status by working in schools, and I worked with absolutely inspirational people who taught me what hard work it is to be a teacher, but what a difference you can make in the lives of young people. Tough schools, really difficult schools with challenging situations, challenging behaviour. But my goodness, the stuff that goes on was amazing. And that is when I realised I could do this, I could make a difference. My first job as a qualified teacher was in a grammar school just on the outskirts of London, um, really intense pressure loved every second of it.
1: Amazing. Gosh, so there you were. I mean, what a great way to go through. And actually some people love the idea and particularly more like an apprenticeship approach Actually, sort of learning on the job and doing that. So there you were. And then you had grammar school now, obviously, and here you are at Oxford at Rice and Anthony. So why did you want to become a head? So you sort of talked about that, you know, obviously going through and all the different things and the passion you have for Teaching children, but obviously as a head, how much teaching time do you actually get?
2: Well, that's such an interesting question because that's the thing that I was most reluctant to relinquish, Mm -hmm. becoming a deputy head and head. Um, Actually not seeing the children, spending all my time with them, because that's the reason why you do the job in the first place. You come into it for the children. I still try and spend as much time as I can with the children. It's much less than normal. But this morning I was at the nativity, the children walk past the window here, overlooking the grounds. I'm waving to the children, saying hello to them all the time. If there's something going on in school, I want to be there, I want to know. I try and meet as many children as I can. We celebrate success and achievements each half-term with a meet the, not a meet the head, a tea with the head. Um, we have a little tea parties together. Um, and then there's all the other things. I'm forever dropping into lessons and other opportunities and cheering the girls on. So we had a really amazing um, drama production, which was our GCSE drama production this week, I'm going to an A-level production this evening. It's just really nice to be able to celebrate success. And what that does for me as a head means that all the things that you're putting in place for them through policies and other quite dull things, actually are are reaping the rewards somewhere else in school, which is fantastic.
1: It's a really important word, that word success. So, and you mentioned about celebrating that. And how how do you, what does that specifically look like? So, because obviously success is very different, isn't it? In a multitude of ways for young people, whether you're doing your GCSEs or whether you're sort of five years old.
2: Yeah, and right, it's really important to us that we celebrate every success. And you're absolutely right. We talk about success at every single level. So that might be for the really academic child, that might be about getting 100% in an assessment. But equally, for the child who's struggling, who is just learning to read and to write in reception class, that's about them writing some lines and some story and being able to read that back and coming to share it getting a head teacher's award coming and being congratulated getting a sticker getting a letter home it's about sharing in that with them there's nothing better for me than when a child comes or is brought by the teacher in the morning and then they come with their story they're at the end of reception class they've come with their story and they want to show me their brilliant work and I read it I talk to them about it and I I I, you know absolutely give them a metaphorical pat on the back and say this is just amazing I'm so proud of you and then we write home as well it's about being there as part of the journey and the children knowing that you're championing them because we should be their biggest supporters and their biggest advocates and I want them to know that whether they're three and a half years old or whether they're 18.
1: Yeah and that's a wide age graph as well isn't it Joe? that you have at Rye Um, so just tell us a little bit about Rye itself as a school and obviously because you know and you know what you actually most enjoy about being at the school
2: so i think rise is a really unique school so we're an all through school starting with nursery at Three going through to 18 we have a co-ed prep school so we have boys and girls all the way up to the age of 11 and then it's single sex only from 11 through to 18 and the benefits of that are children learn to play in the, together in the prep school they learn to enjoy each other's company and, and flourish working together but actually when things get a bit harder and hormones kick in the girls in the senior school can absolutely focus a bit more we're passionate about STEM subjects too and empowering girls to believe that they can achieve anything that they want to um, but not in a hothouse environment but very much in a nurturing environment and that's how we see ourselves. As a school we're we're all about finding a girl's or a child's individual talents and enabling them to flourish. Our job is to spot those talents, give opportunity for those to grow and then champion that child to continue to develop them. Most amazing students who come into school who say to me, "Oh, I'm really great at sport," and they'll be a sports scholar. By the time they leave us, they might be a sports scholar, but they'll also be an amazing artist or an amazing dancer or a great mathematician. It's all about finding all the things that they can do and 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 sharing in that. We are definitely not a hothouse. We're really proud of who we are as a school. And the school was established in 1930 by two inspirational women. And I think the fact that it was set up by women in 1930 when women didn't really run schools and didn't really have um, businesses like that on their own. Um, and what an inspiration for our children today. You know, I think it's like modern day girl power, isn't it? What What does that say for the girls today? You go on and do whatever you want to. If you're determined, if you work hard and you give it a go, you can do anything. And it's because of that that we coined the phrase, be ambitious, be curious and be yourself. You know, drive what you want. Go reach for the stars. You can do it. Ask the questions. Don't worry about things, but find it what it is that drives you as well. Find out what what it, who you are. I'm so proud that every child here at Wright is different. They're themselves. They're not a carbon copy of each other. It's very much every child is valued for who they are.
1: Amazing. Gosh, well, I mean, I think, Joe, it's so much as you say is like, because lots of people talk about as well, particularly girls education. And, you know, why is it important? And you've just mentioned so many, you know, crucial things there. And that being yourself, but also being ambitious, being curious, is stepping forward. Um, because there is a problem, isn't there, with girls going into STEM subjects, feeling that, you know, certain doors are not open to them, situations. And so how do you, I mean, you've obviously mentioned one or two things there, but what are some of the specific ways, perhaps, that you tackle that with some of the elder girls, perhaps with getting to them to actually look at different directions that maybe they've written themselves off for?
2: So one of the most important things is we open those opportunities up in school and then more nationally as well. So it's running clubs and activities in school, different opportunities you can do in teams and then encouraging them through that to then try things out of school as well. Because if you start small in the comfort of your your friendship group, then actually you're inspired to do that further. And it's the confidence that you have at the beginning Um, and your teachers encouraging you to take that forward and believing in you and showing that they believe in you by those conversations and support they offer Um, and that's super important when you walk into Rye one of the first things you'll notice in the reception area is that we have this car and it's a kit car and it's a racing car and you think oh my goodness why have you got a racing car in the middle of reception well it's a project that the girls have been working on in a science club that's not a lesson it's a club run at lunchtime and they've been building a car that will be raced at Silverstone and it's um, a solar powered car that they will race I mean amazing that they've built a car that they're yeah, able to amazing. drive the car
1: um, and ha- the only thing they've got left to do is the bodywork on the car right okay which is still quite important but but actually as you say the practical element of it and also it's motivating to actually have something that is tangible something that's actually real, sort of able to sort of touch and taste and sort of actually see as well the fruit of their labors So you've talked about obviously some wonderful things that you're doing it right. What do you enjoy most about your work?
2: Oh my goodness, I don't know. That's a really hard question. I guess I love seeing the happiness of other children. I love walking down the corridor and you see smiling faces coming towards you and saying hello and seeing their success. I still feel all these years later when it comes to exam time and the children get their results, I feel probably as nervous as they do because every child's success is really a marker of the work that you've done as a person. So I think that's probably what I'm most proud of. And I'm also proud at school that we continue to be who we were meant to be as a school. This non-hot house, nurturing champion in school environment. Um, I think that's really important. And I think there's a lot of need for greater focus in other schools on pastoral care and wellbeing. People talk about it and don't necessarily deliver it, but we absolutely do. And I think I'm really proud that we stick to our guns on that.
1: And how do you stick to your guns? I mean, what its it, is it, sometimes a pressure from the parents or the pupils or is it more about just continuing to create that environment I feel like I'm sort of suggesting answers so I'll just put the question out there (laughs) how do you hold that line
2: so I think it's really important it's about dialogue with children it's about evolving practice as well so every child has a different need um, and it's about working out what that child needs and and also trying to be proactive and preempt what they may need as well. Perhaps seeing them, oh, this is the journey that they may be on. We could do this. It's giving something different for every child and every family. I was talking just last week to um, a parent of a child who joined us in year nine and she was saying what a transformation there had been for her daughter, who's now in year 10, um, who was a school refuser. And actually how she can't believe how happy her daughter is, how she's found her place. Well, I remember the first days of her being at school, being really scared to even cross the g- mm-hmm. gate to come into school. And now you honestly would not know. She looks like she's been here for about 12 years. amazing. Just really confident, comfortable. But it's because we took the time to get to know her, work with her, work with her family, and provide that individualised approach. And I think that's what's missing. And we we are adamant about who we are, and actually not being too big a school, choosing to be the size that we are so that we cannot be,
1: be bespoke in our approach. I mean, that's what we want. Amazing. I mean, I think it's really important as you talk about, about, you know, knowing your purpose, isn't it? You know, fulfilling your vision, actually being really clear. And so when parents and you know, the young people join you, they actually know what this school is about and actually they can thrive in that environment. So, I mean, there's obviously a multitude of stuff you do on a daily basis. I mean, some parents listening to this might think back to their days where they probably just never saw the head or it was a very stern face appearing occasionally, but you obviously meet the pupils, get out there doing all sorts of stuff. So what do you consider to be some of the most important things you do on a daily basis?
2: That's a really difficult question. The most important thing, you know, actually being around in school, being visible in school, um, always being a calm sense of person in the school. So if there's ever a problem um, that you're dealing with that, I want the children to know if if they're worried that they can come to me, they don't have to go to someone else. I I don't ever want to be the scary head. Um, That's not who I am. The door's always open. You can come and find me. Um, I think it's also giving direction to the school, having um, energy and um, being able to grow the school um, and and celebrate who this sc- what the school is and what we do and who the pupils are and what they do as well. So being able to communicate that message more widely, those are the, probably the best things that I do. The policies and things like that. that um I will never enjoy it, but actually they have, they serve a purpose and they're really important They they are at the bottom of my list on a day to day basis, but the communication is absolutely up there. That's really important. And I love having the opportunity to talk with other people about how we can start new things, new ideas for the future. School will be um, 100 in 2030. And so I think it's really important that we're planning ahead, thinking about what we can be doing and what we we should be setting as the next legacy. So it's that big work that goes on behind the scenes that I'm always trying to make time for in every day.
1: Oh, wow. And yeah, you're so right. Looking ahead is important, isn't it? Thinking about as well as balancing important and the things that bring you joy as well so joe outside of school and outside the classroom what are some of the stuff that you know because obviously you mentioned as well about work-life balance as in for your you know the young people in your school thriving and things like what what are things that kind of bring you joy when you're not standing being head teacher of and Anthony? so all the children here know this because i've talked to them about it i don't love it but I do it
2: and I run. Um, I did um, Couch to 5K a couple of years ago and it's something that I've maintained. Um, it's really important. and I've told the children all about it because actually I think it's really important that they know that sometimes you have to persevere with things and you have to push yourself. But I think those sorts of things are really important for your own well being, having some space to think and process different things. Um, I love travelling and being with family, just spending time away from school, just walking and enjoying the countryside as well. Just being outside, having that space, because I think it makes you a better person when you come back into school. It gives you that sense of bigger importance and bigger things going on in the world. I have friends overseas in France and in Italy. I still go to visit. I love practicing my languages too, um, and you would have expected me to say that.
1: Of course I would have done. You know, <laughs> if you'd missed that out, I would have gone, really? Does she actually love language or was it just all a bit of chat? Oh, well, it's amazing. And also the opportunity where Rice and Anthony is, isn't it? You know, Oxford and Oxfordshire, and you've got um, access. And he's you, you, talked about walking and going out to the river and different opportunities of that. Before we sort of finish, what are you most proud about at Rice and Anthony?
2: Out of everything that i I'm proud of at Rye the most the biggest thing is actually that every child is themselves and they feel comfortable confident happy and challenged here in this school so that we offer for each child that academic rigor that academic opportunity but equally that they can thrive pastorally and socially and be who they want to be and we've Somehow struck the balance of that. It's something intrinsic in Rye. We continue to build on it, but actually, it's what Rye should be
1: rightly proud of. Brilliant, Joe. It was such a pleasure to speak to you today, and thank you so much. Thank you, Arabella.
0: So that was Jo Croft, head at Rice and Anthony, giving up her time to speak to us today about life at school. Jo, thank you for being here and for giving up your time. It's great to hear from you. In future episodes, we'll be hearing from other members of staff, but more importantly, we'll be hearing from the pupils too. And we might even have that lined up for you in episode two. So to ensure that you don't miss that, consider clicking that option to follow or subscribe to this podcast channel, which just means that as soon as it's out, you'll know about it. But in the meantime, thank you for listening to this episode. We look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.